This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice podcast, your bi-weekly source of news, views and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an independent educational grant from Novo Nordisk. The supporter has had no influence on the content or choice of faculty for this program. My name is James Bannister and joining me again is my colleague Emma Phillips. Hi James. Today we're taking a closer look at the cardiovascular outcomes trials presented at ADA 2019 and published recently. Once again, our resident expert and ADA attendee, Emma, will be summarising the conference's highlights. Thanks, James. Yes, there were a lot of data presented from the cardiovascular outcome trials, one of which was the REWIND trial on dilaglutide. So we know that people with type 2 diabetes are already at an elevated risk for cardiovascular problems, and this increases with additional risk factors. So the investigators of this trial wanted to find out whether 1.5 milligrams weekly of dilaglutide versus placebo can reduce this risk in people with type 2 diabetes who also have additional risk factors. So either age 50 or older already with vascular disease, 55 with subclinical vascular disease, or 60 plus two risk factors. So this was a trial of 9,900 participants followed for a median of 5.4 years. The trial found a 12% risk reduction for dilaglutide in the primary composite endpoint of three-point MACE, which is cardiovascular death, non-fatal myocardial infarction, or non-fatal stroke, which was statistically significant and did not significantly vary between the subgroups. The exception to this was for region, although no difference was found across ethnicities. Looking at renal outcomes, the trial found a 15% risk reduction for the renal composite outcome, which included first macroalbuminuria, a sustained decline in EGFR of 30% or more, or chronic renal replacement therapy. Looking at these components individually, a protective effect was seen for dilaglutide across all three, but this was only statistically significant for the first macroalbuminuria. There was no interaction seen across the subgroups. The Carmelina trial was on the DPP-4 inhibitor linagliptin, comparing 5 mg per day to placebo in type 2 diabetes, again with high cardiovascular risk factors, and these were defined as macrovascular disease or chronic kidney disease. The patients were 18 years or older with either macrovascular disease and albuminuria, defined as a urine albumin creatinine ratio of 30 mg per gram or more, or impaired kidney function with or without albuminuria. The primary outcome was again a three-point mace with a secondary outcome of a composite kidney endpoint, which differed from that used in Rewind, composed of a sustained decline in EGFR of 40%, sustained end-stage kidney disease or death due to kidney disease. The trial followed just under 7,000 patients for a median of 2.2 years. The trial found linagliptin to be non-inferior to placebo in three-point mace with no significant subgroup interaction, and also no significant effect seen in the secondary kidney composite outcome. There was also no significant difference found for risk of hospitalisation due to heart failure, but there did seem to be a significant risk reduction in albuminuria progression by 14%, consistently across baseline EGFR. The Carolina trial was also presented. This cardiovascular outcomes trial was an active comparator trial rather than placebo-controlled. Patients with relatively early type 2 diabetes were randomised to receive either lenagliptin or the sulfonylurea glimepiride once daily. Inclusion criteria meant that participants were reflective of early-stage patients. The median diabetes duration was 6.3 years, with 40% being diagnosed for under 5 years, and 9% were treatment-naive, and none were receiving insulin. 
The trial evaluated time-to-first occurrence of MACE and concluded that lenagliptin was non-inferior to glomeparide in reducing cardiovascular events. The neutral cardiovascular events for lenagliptin were in line with expectations of the DPP-4 inhibitor class. However, the results for glomeparide were more surprising, given the class's historical concerns. The FDA currently require a product warning for all sulfonylureas. The FDA currently require a product warning for all sulfonylureas on the potential increase in risk for cardiovascular mortality. However, there was no evidence in Carolina of increased cardiovascular death or post-infarct heart failure for glomeparide. Pioneer 6 was also presented and published concurrently over the conference period. As discussed in our previous episode, the Pioneer 6 trial was the large-scale cardiovascular outcomes trial for oral semaglutide, looking specifically at patients with established cardiovascular or renal disease above 50 years old or those with risk factors above 60 years of age. The trial was event-driven, meaning patients were followed until first occurrence of major adverse cardiovascular event, and the trial concluded after at least 122 events occurred with no predefined minimum duration. Ultimately, the trial determined that oral semaglutide was non-inferior to placebo, with a p-value below 0.001, with a statistically non-significant reduction in major adverse cardiovascular events of 21%, where the p-value was equal to 0.16. This observation was driven by a 25% lower rate of stroke and a 51% lower rate of cardiovascular death in the semaglutide arm. However, an 18% increase in non-fatal myocardial infarction was also observed. The published manuscript notes that fewer events were observed across this trial as compared to other outcomes trials. In total, 137 events occurred in the 3,183 patients in Pioneer 6, compared to, for example, 254 events in 3,297 patients in sustained 6, or 1,302 events occurring in 9,340 patients in the LEADER trial. DECLARE TIMI 58 was a study of over 17,000 patients for a median of 4.2 years, and they were randomised to either 10 mg daily dapagliflozin or placebo. The patients all had type 2 diabetes with established cardiovascular disease or multiple risk factors, and the trial was event-driven, measuring a three-point MACE as the primary endpoint. The cardiovascular data were published in January, so we already knew the trial met its primary safety endpoint of three-point MACE. There were also two dual primary efficacy endpoints of MACE, which was not found to be superior for depagliflozin but did show a risk reduction of 7%, and a composite of hospitalisation for heart failure or cardiovascular death which did show a superior risk reduction of 17% for dapagliflozin. The renal outcomes were announced at ADA, defined by a renal-specific outcome of either 40% decline in EGFR, end-stage renal disease, or death from renal causes. A cardiorenal composite outcome was also measured, which included the renal outcomes plus cardiovascular death. The trial found dapagliflozin significantly reduced the renal-specific outcomes by 47% and cardiorenal outcomes by 24%. As might be expected with trials of SGLT2 inhibitors, the trial saw a non-significant increase in amputations with dapagliflozin and a threefold incidence of ketoacidosis, though this was rare. Interestingly, a significant risk reduction of 43% for bladder cancer was also observed. Now, to help put all of these data in context, we join Stephanie Leonida again with leading expert Professor Stephen Bain. So, Professor Bain, thank you for joining us once more. 
I have a question for you now. So looking at the cardiovascular outcome data presented at ADA, was there any new piece of information that we learned or did these simply confirm suspected class effects? So I, th I think there was uh, lots of new information appeared at the ADA. There was a Carolina study which was comparing linagliptin with glimepiride, which I think to many people's surprise didn't show any benefit for the uh, linagliptin over the sulfonylurea in terms of the three points, uh, MACE, major adverse cardiovascular endpoints, which was the primary endpoint of that study. So that that was certainly of interest. And um, I must say it does fit with a class effect for the DPP-4s, but is possibly the best cardiovascular evidence that a sulfonylurea has had in the last 50 years. Uh, there were new data from GLP-1 receptor agonists, so the Rewind study reported on once-weekly dulaglutide, um, and this showed that there was a reduction in the primary endpoint, three-point maze, once again, of cardiovascular death, non-fatal MI, and non-fatal stroke. And this uh, reduction was seen both in those patients with established cardiovascular disease, but more importantly, those uh, patients who had risk factors for cardiovascular disease. And so that's something that seems to pick out the GLP-1 receptor class from the SGLT2s, where thus far the cardiovascular data for SGLT2s suggest it's in those patients who have got established disease where the cardiovascular benefit is seen. Then finally, there was the uh, Pioneer 6 study of oral semaglutide that reported. This was a study that showed non-inferiority of oral semaglutide versus placebo, but I think it's very important to remember that the design of this study was simply event-driven but with and with no minimum exposure of medication. So whereas in the uh, Rewind study using dulaglutide, the study went on for many years, the Pioneer 6 study stopped after only 137 events, a median duration of about 16 months, and yet was still showing a suggestion that there may be a positive effect on the point estimate for oral semaglutide. So non-inferiority proven, but some suggested benefits. And if you specifically look at cardiovascular death and all-cause mortality, there was about a 50% reduction in those endpoints seen in the very short Pioneer 6 study. So quite ex exciting data. Are these uh, uh, effects that we see in the GLP-1 receptor agonist class, are they class effects or do different drugs perform differently? Well, I guess if you were trying to split them at the moment, you'd suggest that the human GLP-1 uh, receptor analogues seem to be doing better than those uh, GLP-1 receptor uh, drugs that are based on the exendin molecule. So that would be uh, exenatide and lixizenatide have seemed to perform less well than drugs, uh, medicines such as liraglutide, semaglutide and dulaglutide. So I think the jury's still out as to how much of a class effect it is in the GLP-1 receptor agonist group. Thank you once more. So my next question is, we saw that in Pioneer 6, the primary endpoint failed to achieve statistical superiority. Comparing these data to Sustain 6, what can we conclude about the cardioprotective effects of semaglutide? So the, the, the Pioneer 6 of oral semaglutide come on the, the, the heels of the Sustain 6, which looked at subcutaneous semaglutide. Um, the Sustain 6 study which was longer because there was a minimum duration of exposure to the 
investigational medicinal product in that of about two years that had far more um, endpoints in the study and the point estimate reduction which was 0.74 was statistically significant and therefore not only demonstrating non-inferiority to placebo but actually demonstrating superiority. The point estimate in the Pioneer 6 study of oral semaglutide was slightly less than that seen with subcutaneous semaglutide but in the same direction and once again the two, taking the two studies together I think this is supporting the idea of cardiovascular benefit. However, we don't have to surmise based on the studies that we have because at the moment the uh, a trial of oral semaglutide is just beginning. The first patients were recruited in uh, June in the United States. They'll be recruited elsewhere in the world uh, in August 2019. And this is a superiority design study looking at oral semaglutide versus placebo known as SOUL. This is an event uh, driven study which we anticipate will last four to five years but will give a definitive answer as to whether there is superior cardiovascular benefit seen with semaglutide. Lastly, there is a growing focus on renal outcomes in diabetes care with microvascular composites included as secondary outcomes in trials such as Rewind. How conclusive can we consider these results to be? Are specific renal outcome trials required before we can say that specific agents reduce the risk of nephropathy? I think, I think there's no doubt that we do need um, trials of GLP-1 receptor agonists that have primary renal endpoints before we can make definitive comments. And I suspect that none of these medicines will achieve a license for renal protection until those studies have been performed and I believe there is a study of semaglutide which will be addressing this point. To date what we've had are secondary um, nephropathy endpoints that have been reported in large cardiovascular um, outcome trials. So Rewind for example is one of the latest but they were also reported for um, uh, liraglutide in leader and uh, also a look at the same endpoints in the sustained six with semaglutide. My take on it to this point is that there is a positive benefit on the microvascular endpoint as it applies to the kidney, but for the GLP-1 receptor agonist, this tends to be driven by either a reduction in new onset micro or macro albuminuria, or perhaps a regression of uh, albuminuria in the uh, type 2 diabetes patients rather than hard renal endpoints by which I would be thinking of things such as EGFR progression, uh, creatinine worsening, uh, progression to end-stage renal disease um, and renal death. And my take at the moment is that those hard renal endpoints have not really shown positive benefit in the studies to this point. And that, I think, is in marked contrast to the trials looking at the SGLT2 inhibitors, which do appear to have renal benefit. And most recently, we saw the results of Credence in patients with uh, type 2 diabetes and renal dysfunction, where the, the benefits on the composite uh, kidney outpoint, uh, endpoint, along with cardiovascular endpoints, were highly encouraging. So at the moment, the jury's still out, but I suspect these are going to be less robust renal benefits seen with the GLP-1 receptor agonists than we currently see with the SGLT2 uh, uh, inhibitors. Thank you for joining us, Professor Bain. 
So, to reiterate the key points of these data, we are beginning to see a trend among GLP-1 receptor agonists towards cardiovascular protection, but further studies, such as the SOL study, are required to definitively confirm this class effect. The DECLARE-TIMI study confirmed cardiorenal benefit among the SGLT2 class, and further studies are required to confirm renal effects identified in secondary endpoints of GLP-1 cardiovascular trials. As always, if you'd like to hear more from us, you can subscribe to the podcast across all major apps or stream individual episodes from our website. Let us know your thoughts by leaving a review or tweet us at DKI Practice. You can also access all of our free accredited CME content at knowledgeinpractice.eu. Thanks for listening. We hope it's been beneficial and look forward to the next episode where we'll be taking a closer look at renal outcomes and what you can do to help prevent kidney disease in your patients.